Um, Owen reminded me in the week uh, that there's no junior church these days. And so he said, uh, remember to make it child-friendly and engaging, uh, short and sweet, um, and various other instructions. I said, well, I'm not you, Owen, so I, I can't promise any sort of tricks or circuses or uh, raps. You know, he does like to do the raps. But anyway, anyway um, with that in mind, um, I thought let's, it'll be a little different today. I hope you don't mind that. Well, you probably think it won't be any different at all, but uh, I thought we'd start with a quiz, all right? Uh, you can see the title is Don't Be Afraid. And so the question is this, and this goes for anybody, the youngest to the oldest, really. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? You don't have to shout out, but just think, what are you afraid of? Uh, people are afraid of many things, aren't they? Maybe, you, maybe when we were smaller, we were afraid of the dark. Maybe we're still afraid of the dark. I remember I used to take a shortcut through uh, a graveyard in my little village where I grew up and I used to whistle very loudly because uh, between the dark and the graves I was quite afraid. But there are many phobias we call them, don't we? Phobia is the Greek word and it means a, a, perhaps a, an unusually strong fear, sometimes an irrational fear. There's no need to be afraid of it but anyway it's a phobia. So my mother would never go on a plane because she suffered from claustrophobia. Claustrophobia is, of course, a fear of being enclosed in a small space and uh, knowing that you couldn't get off. She said she'd only go on a plane if she could keep her foot on the ground. So <laughs> she never did. Um, but here's some more, okay? I'll, I'll give you a test. Do you know what globophobia is? This is for you to answer now if you want to. Globophobia. Globophobia. No, no offers? I don't hear any, but shout them out. Well, it's the fear of balloons. Okay? So one of the dogs we had, she is no longer, she's in dog heaven, but uh, she was certainly suffered from globophobia. Uh, what about pogonophobia? Pogonophobia. Pogonophobia. No? Okay. It's the fear of beards, wearing a beard, okay? So, um, this one is, I think, is fairly common, though you might not know the name. Ophidophobia? 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 I expect quite a few of us suffer from this, although it's not irrational fear. It's the fear of snakes, okay? So, yeah. This is a, a one I came across to this week, and I, I, it's called nomophobia. It's a very modern one. Again, one that probably most of us will suffer from these days. Nomophobia is the fear of being without your mobile phone. <laughs> so, there we are. I, I've got mine, and uh, that reminds me to put the, put the timer on as well, because uh, I was told to keep it short. Um, not by Owen, by another authority sitting... <laughs> So we're thinking today about fear, all right? 
And uh, we're thinking about the words, particularly of Jesus there, don't be afraid. He's talking to a church, to people like you and me, many years ago, about 2,000 years ago, just under, in a place called Smyrna. Just heard it read, Paul read it to us. It's now known as Izmir. It's a place you can go for holidays. It's in Turkey. Um, maybe we can just have a quick look at the map and you can see where it is. It's uh, across the river from, uh, no map? It's across, there we go. If you can make it out, it's number two on the map, Smyrna, okay? So you can see. Uh, it's across the water from Greece. There's the little map. And of course, we've heard a lot about Greece this last week, haven't we, sadly, with uh, all the fires and people having to leave their homes and their hotels. And of course, that's another big fear, isn't it? Pyrophobia, pyrophobia, fear of fire, um, which is quite understandable in a way, I suppose. But I wonder whether you've ever been in a situation, whether you're young or old this morning, where you were really afraid. I'm sure some of us, if we're honest, in the, in the congregation, we were afraid. I, I've been in quite a few of those. Uh, a few of them, I can think back uh, earlier, especially when we lived in Africa. Uh, I can think of one occasion, just tell you this one quickly, uh, when we, I had to fly from Windhoek, which is the capital, of Namibia uh, to a meeting in Johannesburg and uh, we flew a lot of course in those days so we got on the plane everything was fine we got to about half an hour out of Joburg the whole trip is about I, as I remember about one hour half hours two hours maybe half an hour out of Joburg and the pilot came on the captain came on the intercom and he said I'm I'm sorry to say and we thought oh goodness I'm sorry to say that we will have to go through an emergency landing procedure. So yeah, exactly. Everybody goes, oh, okay. Uh, so they said, please follow the cabin staff's uh, instructions exactly. With that, they started shouting at us. These nice young ladies and one or two quite nice young men, um, they started shouting. Have you ever been in an emergency uh, landing situation? Well, it's, it is quite frightening, just them shouting. They started shouting, brace, brace, keep your head down. And we had to, they showed us, we all had to go like this. So, head on your knees, hand over your heads, brace, brace, keep your head down. And if they saw anybody with their head up, they, brace, brace, keep your head down. And then they said, we had to say it with them. Brace, brace, keep your head down. Um, so we, we were doing this and uh, wondering what on earth was going to happen. We, had to, we were told to loosen our clothing. The ladies had to take off stiletto heels if they had them, and the men if they had them. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we were proceeding like this and uh, he said, just to, just to reassure you, uh, we're doing this because when we took off in Windhoek, the front wheel tires burst. So we're not sure what we can land on in terms of the nose of the plane. So it may be that will be an emergency. Well, it will be an emergency landing. But uh, so of course at this point, everybody starts getting a bit agitated, wondering. So anyway, we're about 15, 10 minutes out of Joburg, coming into Joburg, coming into land. Brace, brace, keep your head down. Brace, brace. People were sort of praying and crossing themselves and doing different things. And, oh, and, and they told us, you can't, of course, have your bags, but if you've got ID in your bag and you want to put it on your person, 
just in case you have to be identified, uh, you can do that. So they were all checking our IDs and passports and whatever. In we came to Joburg, in going down, and then whoo, up we went again. And everybody goes, oh, no, what's happening? So he comes on the blower again and says, uh, just to reassure you, um, we went in low, we took a low pass because we wanted the ground staff to examine the underneath of the aeroplane to see if it was fit to land. So, well, we've got to land sometime, haven't we? Somewhere, so... Anyway, they decided that it was fit to land, so the second pass, we came in, great brace, keep your head down, and I'm here to tell the story. So, we had a bit of a dicey landing, it was a bit like landing on ice, I think. We were all over the place, we ended up... We could see the fire engines down the side of the runway waiting for us. Uh, fortunately, they weren't needed. We didn't even, this was a bit anticlimax, we didn't even need the chutes to get out. We all sort of cheered and thanked God and so on. We, we didn't go into the hangars. We start, stopped by the grass, so that was a slightly different. But anyway, I was afraid. I was afraid. Many people on that flight were afraid. I wasn't, I can honestly say I wasn't, I wasn't so afraid of dying. I mean, I didn't want to die, don't get me wrong. Uh, it, I didn't want, you don't want to be in a plane crash, of course. I was more afraid of, um, of, of, my, of Kathy and the five kids back in Namibia, and what would they think, and how would they get on if uh, the worst came to the worst? But it was, it was fearful, it was frightening. Of course, some people have aerophobia. They will not fly because they're afraid of flying. So, yeah, I'm sure you've got stories, similar things like that, things that you're afraid of. I could tell you another one, but time's going. It's already seven minutes, that's too long. Um, uh, probably a bit... No, okay, I won't tell you that one. That was when we were in the, in the war in north of Namibia and had to pl stay in a place, and we were attacked by rockets, rocket RPGs, and uh, that was totally... Anyway, okay. Fear, fear, it's an emotion that uh, grips us, isn't it? And what, were the, what was the problem then? Why did Jesus have to say to these guys in Smyrna, don't be afraid? Well, because we know from history that Smyrna was a very important city. It had won a competition for building one of the best temples to Caesar. And because it had one of the best temples to Caesar, every year, at least once a year, if not more, um, everybody had to go up to the temple and had to worship Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And of course, the Christians wouldn't say that because only Jesus is Lord. And because they would not say that, as a result, many were facing, facing persecution. They were being put in prison and others were even being killed for not worshipping Caesar, the emperor. It was a really tough time for them in Smyrna. Many were afraid, understandably. So Jesus, in this passage here in John, it's the second of these messages to these churches, he wants to speak words of encouragement to them and comfort to them, and through that to us today, through the Holy Spirit, through his word. And so there are just two things, really, that Jesus says to them. First of all, here's the first thing he says, I know. Verse 8. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty. I know about the slander that you suffer. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. 
You know, that's, that's wonderful. Jesus knows your troubles. That's really the word that's used here, I suppose, for, for afflictions. Actually, afflictions, as the word is used here, is uh, the root of it in the Greek, again, is for these, when the Romans would want someone to confess to something, they would lie them down on the ground and they would press, put big rocks, heavy rocks, or heavy weights on their chest, getting heavier and heavier and heavier until, well, you couldn't breathe, you either admitted to it, you passed out, or some, sadly, sometimes you even died. So it's, it's that sense of pressure, pressure on your chest. That's, that's the original word that's used here for afflictions. Jesus says, I know all about the pressures on you and on your life. Sometimes when you feel overwhelmed and, and, and you, it's unbearable and, and you can't breathe, I know. That's wonderful, isn't it? Jesus knows, God knows. You see, when you're afraid, it's always worse when nobody else knows about it. If you're the only one, you think you're alone. Nobody understands. Maybe nobody cares. Maybe nobody can help. But Jesus says, I know. I know all about your troubles. I know your afflictions. I know. And then he also says, I know your poverty. I, I think these, these words are literally meant here because probably these people had lost all their goods. They'd lost their livelihoods because they would not say, Caesar is Lord, they'd lost their jobs. Maybe they'd lost their homes. And so now they were literally poor. And yet Jesus says to these poverty-stricken Christians there in Smyrna, but you're rich, really, you're rich. Now how can he say that? Well, obviously he's talking about a different currency, a different sets of values, isn't he? You see, for the believer in Jesus... No matter what your circumstances are, it's true that no one who knows Jesus and trusts in him is ever truly poor. And no one without Jesus is ever truly rich. It all depends, doesn't it, on, on your value systems. You can be the richest person in the world but not have Jesus, and really you're poor. I was reading about Steve Jobs, this last week, died probably worth about $15 million when he died with his iPhones and his iPads and his iMacs and iTunes and so on and so on. Great, wonderful. But really, all the Mac computers don't matter now, do they? To Steve Jobs, he passed from this life where he was admired and revered and rich and famous. Great. But we must all answer to the God who makes us and who gives us life and talent and ability. Are we rich towards God? That's what really matters. But Jesus is saying here, look, I know, I know all about your personal circumstances, I know the hardships that you're suffering, and life isn't easy, it doesn't promise it's going to be easy, but actually, because you trust in me, you know you're rich, truly rich. We, we, we share in his eternal riches of well, now of forgiveness and of peace and of joy and of hope and of eternal life and so on. I know you're poor in the eyes of this world, but really you're rich. And then he says, I know who your enemies are. That's a comfort too, isn't it? 
I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews or not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Wow, that's strong language. Obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor, it's strong language. I think what's happening here is that the Jews who should have been these Christians' friends were snitching on them. They were saying, hey, you know these Christians, they're not saying Caesar is Lord. And so they were taking the side of, of, of Caesar. Whereas they should have been perhaps helping the Christians, but they, they weren't. But Jesus says, look, I, I know who's against you. I know who your enemies are. And Jesus knows all about the forces and the people that may well oppose us just because we're Christians, wherever we are, in school or university or work, or even in our homes. Jesus knows those who oppose us. And God doesn't take lightly those who attack his children. He's there for us. So, if Jesus is Lord of the church and he knows all this about his people in Smyrna and all about us here in Park End, what does he actually say? So just very briefly, Jesus knows, and secondly, Jesus says. What does Jesus say? He says, do not be afraid. Verse 10, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. So that shows us that Jesus has perfect knowledge of all that's going to happen to us, what you're about to suffer. He knows the future. Sometimes we're afraid, aren't we, of the future? Well, he knows the future. He knows all about it. He knows the pressure on us. He knows the difficulties that we're facing. What surprises us doesn't surprise Jesus. He knows. And so he says, don't be afraid. Now, hang on, how can he say that? How can he say that? Don't be afraid. When he knows. When life is tough. When it's difficult. Well, because he says that, because here's the other wonderful thing that Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I am the one who died and came to life again. That's why he can say it. That's why he has the authority to say it. It's not just whistling in the dark, being a Christian, hoping against all hope. These are the words of Jesus, the one who is the first and the last, the one who died and came to life again. These are the extremes, aren't they? The first and the last, death and life. Jesus is, is Lord of all the extremes and he's Lord of everything in between in our lives. He's there at the beginning and he's there at the end. And because he has conquered death, that's what he's saying here, death itself cannot conquer us. The worst, the last enemy. The thing that we, in a sense, we understandably we're afraid of. But he says, I'm the first and the last. I died and I came to life again. And so I can help you. Jesus is saying to them, yeah, I know time is, is tough for you now at the moment. It's hard sometimes living in this world, being a Christian. But I want you to know that I was here before it all started and I'll be here after it's all finished. And listen, I know all about suffering. Don't think you're on your own. Don't think that you, no one else understands. I know, all about, I know all about even dying. I've done it. For I was dead. And yet I've come to life again. He's gone through that final, awful curtain. And so because he has, we can have confidence. We can... We can even say, I'm not afraid. Well, there may be, yeah, there are things around it that f 
fill us with fear sometimes and trepidation and so on. And of course, he says this because he knows we are afraid. He's not blaming us because we're afraid or fear. But he's there to be with us because he knows and because he says, I am the first and the last. And he reminds them, actually, that even though they, they, they may die, well, they will die, but even though they die through persecution or whatever way they die, they'll not experience anything that he hasn't experienced already. I was dead and I'm alive again. So should they die, when they die, they will not be cut off from his eternal power and his grip and his everlasting love and his resurrection strength. No matter what they go through, no matter what you're going through, Jesus says, I've been there and I'm going to be there for you. So united to Jesus by faith in his death and his resurrection and by the indwelling spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and now lives in us as we trust in him, he will raise us up and we shall not be hurt. As the, as the passage says here, we'll not be hurt by the second death. The second death. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life and as we trust in Jesus, we'll not be hurt by the second death. What's that? That's eternal death. That is separation from God forever. No joy, no hope, no life. What the Bible sometimes calls Hades or hell. The second death. And the only way, says Jesus, not to be afraid of death, but then also the second death, is to listen. Listen to Jesus speaking. The one who is the first and the last, the one who died for you and for me and who is alive forevermore so that we can actually trust him, listen to him, obey him. And those who trust in him, Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because he knows we are afraid. He's so kind and loving and understanding that he says, trust in me, believe in me, and don't be afraid. I just heard in our uh, reading this morning, Kath and I, we listen to a Bible reading every morning, and uh, this is what it said. It said, without Jesus, without Jesus, you face a hopeless end. But with Jesus, you face endless hope. So don't be afraid. Good. Well, if you are afraid um, and um, you've sort of tuned out a long time ago, maybe just, I don't know what the boys are drawing, but uh, or if you're listening online, uh, maybe you can be drawing stuff about which you're afraid, but then talk to someone about it as well. And above all, let's all talk to Jesus because he's the one who can help us.